0: Welcome to The Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to.
1: Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences explaining why and how people work together to find healing.
0: Welcome back to The Evidence-Based Therapist. Another episode. Another episode where we read so you you don't don't have have to. to. But. <laughs> but, we haven't done this in a couple of weeks, so I, I don't
1: remember all of the footnote but parentheticals.
0: it can be what comes to us now. Okay. But, but, we hope you do. Yeah? Wasn't there like an additive of like, <laughs> There's and, so and we
1: want you to do your own research? And you then should also, and you
0: could come talk yeah. to us about it, and or what you're reading. Which, this article is a great example that. Yes. This was shared to us. This was shared to us by a listener. By a listener. Which we
1: have two... Others that I would like to get to that other yes. listeners have given. This one us. just
0: fit really well with just so beautiful. the next yeah. portion, which yeah. we're gonna be talking about. The, the brain. brain.
1: Probably the easiest topic that there is to study.
0: Yeah. It's, it's just simplest, so for straightforward
1: sure. and simple.
0: We're just gonna do I like make this six. every time
1: we talk about
0: I the think brain. it's important to keep going. <laughs> five or six articles should do it.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, we should have. We should give every listener a complete and total... I would say exhaustive. Exhaustive understanding of the brain.
0: So much so that you should have no questions. You should have no questions and all of your therapy and research will be transformed because now you know all there is to know. Yeah. Okay, obviously everything we just said is ridiculous and that will <laughs> never be able to be said. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Absurd... Um, it's but it, laughable. But
1: in line with one of our previous episodes that we actually just recalled earlier today, it's it's impossible to know everything. Yes. But it's worth it to still yeah. try.
0: We'll never know, but it's very imperative that we it's try. It's imperative, yeah. yes. So this is, we're back. Yeah. Sorry, close parentheses. <laughs> we forgot to close the parenthetical. <laughs> Dang it. That's on at least on a on point, on.
1: point off of our final essay. That's true, at least oh. a point
0: yeah okay well i, I, close I just had a, I just had a scary like um flashback to undergrad where i had a intro like the first page after the title page professor just put an x a red x on the whole page and that was the, <laughs> that was the feedback ouch <laughs> yeah was pretty tough not even any words. I was a just, sophomore. You just know?
1: letting you sit with the affect of yeah. Red X rejection.
0: <laughs> with the rejection, with the rejection. Like, ah. you know that um, we'll flow back into that later. Yeah, let's yeah. process it. Yeah, but the uh, sound of like a game show, like Red X coming up, like yeah. yeah, that is what it felt like. Yeah, no, and I'm sure it had like
1: reverb, so it echoes. Like,
0: yeah.
1: Just haunting. Yeah. Just as it is right now. (laughs) Just as it is right now. Um, Well,
0: yeah. So, we're back. We are back.
1: We were just talking about, before we hit record, how excited we are. Yeah. We took a couple weeks off to do a special release. Yep. We did a little thing called The Cost of Subjectivity, which is exploring subjective business. Yeah, what it's Um, like to
0: only be able to do a fraction of what you desire. to. 5%. Because of limitations that humans face in... Being a West. subject. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the truth. Yeah. But we are here on the evidence-based therapist to dive into, I would say one of one of our our being Caleb and I, one of our favorite things to talk about, which yeah. is the mystery of the brain.
1: I um, like that you phrase it with mystery in there. Oh, because for sure. You have to. I think there's a lot of like felt sense of when you talk about the brain you must be smart and you must know what you're talking about. Yeah. And that is so not the posture I think that we carry. Yeah. I think we we want listeners and ourselves to always be in a constant state of play with the brain because it is and of not crazy knowing. cool. Yeah. And also so hard to
0: understand. Yes, and it changes all the time. Yes. Changes all the time. Yeah. What we're what we're understanding, how we're talking about it, which then leads to more change. Mhm. For sure. Yeah. And this article, I think, will will showcase a lot of that understanding and posture that you and I have. Um, so to give it to the reader, the name of the article is The Brain is Adaptive, Not Triune, How the Brain Responds to Threat, Challenge, and Change. And it is from the Open Access Frontiers of Psychology. Um, this is Frontiers in Psychiatry, but Frontiers Journal. Um, And in this, we're looking at an article from 2022 by Stefan Hedges and Matheson. Uh, So what open access means is that you yourself can go look it up. So just type in the brain is adaptive, not triune. You'll see three little squares and the word frontiers. That's the one you want. Which is so beautiful. I love open access and especially frontiers. They pump out some really amazing content. Great. The Alan Shore article was frontiers. Are you kidding me? Yep. Absolutely, top notch. Top notch. Open access, love it. So give it to the people. This article, yeah, give it to the people, and yeah. also challenge the people. Challenge
1: the people. Just like this article was a little bit challenging. Yeah, it's we some spice. We were like commenting on this spice level of yes. How do we actually feel like? Is this too hot? Is it right. Not hot enough? <laughs> yeah. What's the real feeling of this article? Because we're we're proponents of teaching. A conceptual understanding of the brain
0: that using uses,
1: yes. triune brain theory. Yes. From McLean. Yep. And the in the title the brain is adaptive, not triune, which is already interesting because A binary
0: that I'm not sure squares.
1: Yeah, we I think like even from the title we wrestle with it because I would agree to both. Yeah. The brain is both adaptive and triune.
0: I would say it's because the brain is triune that it is adaptive. Ah. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) yes, we'll get into this. But yes, so just some backstory. You know, the triune brain theory is a way of understanding the brain that we incorporate in our foundational training in somatic integration and processing. We use it to construct what we call humanist triangle, which is looking at the hindbrain, the midbrain, and the forebrain, which have been called many different things over the Mm -hmm. years. But that's the major distinction um, that looks at the structure of the brain in those major ways. Mm -hmm. I think what that structure does to different people is what some of the writing in this article came from, because some assume that that distinction, that triarchic distinction, separates into independent brain structures wherein they function autonomously and not in a network perspective Mm -hmm. that is not how we understand it we have a major neurosequential bottom-up perspective of energy and information in the brain so let's just make that clear Mm -hmm. but this really does have implications like the way this article puts together their thought and their argument for why we need to look at the brain not as triune but instead as adaptive this has implications for everybody yeah like this conversation so mm-hmm. throughout this podcast episode if it feels muddy and unclear like stick with us listen to it again because even though the language is kind of really technical at times their argument is important for us to consider
1: yeah and it it even has in it in the argument some like i remember the first time i read the article i I thought and I even commented to you, like it says a lot, but I really don't know what it says, yeah, and this like felt, and so then having to go back and reread it and reprocess it again, and there's more there, but it it is kind of it's like still this strange. ambiguous, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I also want to just say it will come back. We will discuss this later because I have a personal desire to talk about it. Mm. And we're two people who get to decide what we talk about on this podcast. Yes, we are. (laughs) McLean hypothesized this in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah.
0: From work in a very prestigious uh, position with the National Institute of Mental Health for a long time. Yeah. This is not just some dude. Yeah.
1: (laughs) For some reason, I have it in my brain that, like, 79 is also like a year where maybe he published some uh-huh. preliminary
0: works on triune brain is that yes. right yes um so just to pull up a little bit of information here
1: um regardless while you pull that yeah. up i i think it's important to note that mclean is not like a he doesn't have the last f- technically 40 to 50 years in of the research
0: iteration of the theory yeah
1: correct in in the triune brain theory, and mm-hmm. and it evolved some at, over time, but it still is a early rendition of a conceptual understanding of how the brain functions and produces like processes of motivation. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about somebody current. We're talking about someone in the who was setting up almost like foundational like cues for us later on to say. Yes, and, or right. no, and.
0: Yes. And that's the, like, your comment about lineage there, I think, is so important and one that I really want to spend time on because, man, we've talked about this so much on this podcast. I'm just now recalling episodes, even of, you know, what should we do with new theory? Mm. Um, should we throw it away? Or yeah. does it, should we throw old theory away because of new theory, or should we incorporate it in mm-hmm. some way? So this is like a major conundrum for theorists and scientists and researchers and therapists and just thinkers in general. Yeah. Um, when we look at the advent of new science and in that podcast episode we talked about our posture is to integrate mm-hmm. because to forget where you've been leaves you without any context for where you are or which direction you can go yeah. from there. So yes we're big integrators in that. Um, but this is not you know McLean is not just some random person. So very prestigious faculty tenure at Yale, uh, served in the National Institute of Mental Health for many years, and put forth the uh, triune brain theory um, in the 1950s. So 50s? In the 50s was some of the bones of okay. the theory. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, in the 50s. Okay. So I was, yeah, I was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, 90s must have been like the end yeah so the visceral brain and the limbic system were introduced in the in 1952 that is it's amazing yeah that is really amazing cutting edge yeah like crazy 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 um yeah so not just from some random person um i think it's important to note that because mclean especially since the nineties has been pretty trashed in mm-hmm. research yeah. because of some of the theory about um, accretion based evolutionary development in the brain wherein in some of the early writing, it sounded like he was talking about there's a reptilian brain that then new matter is injected somehow into the skull and now the mammalian brain uh emerges and the new matter is somehow injected into the skull in which the neocortex emerges so just to be clear that's not that's not what we're talking about (laughs) yeah
1: yeah but we are talking about and i love you usually use the in our trainings the difference between structure and function yes we're not talking about the structural development as far as like this new matter being superimposed on old matter yep what we are talking about is a specialization of material systems in the brain that then process energy and information in very specific ways that are different from other regions. Yeah, And that that matters in how we understand how a human not only takes in information from their environment, but also responds to certain levels of information in their environment.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Um, So the first header of this article Is the train brain an outdated and accurate model? You know, before we started this podcast, we were talking about which direction we kind of wanted to go with the spectrum of impact it had on us as we have been kind of chewing on it. You know, it's from April of this year, so it hasn't been out that long. But in it, I think both of our first reactions was pretty like critical of the work and not necessarily feeling very compelled by the argument Mm -hmm. where would you say you are now i feel like i'm on i and i
1: i don't know i feel like i'm i've pendulated a bit where Mm. like my upon my first reading it was kind of a i mean yeah I, i love the emphasis and the new introduction of some of the they do some prediction processing modeling of the brain and you know, introducing the interoceptive and exteroceptive axes of yep. organization in the brain. Yep. Some of that is just like super sick, and I love that. Yeah. But then it was like, why does that totally cancel out? Yeah, the out? meaning
0: of the, that they made of that yeah. is that it warrants a complete jettison of triune brain structural understanding.
1: Yeah. We really just need to get away from a hierarchical organization of the brain, is, is really there like they never say that, but. To me, on, upon first reading, like that's my impression is, let's forsake hierarchical organization and just look at system organization and flow based on homeostasis and allostatic needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I I can see, I yeah, first read was like, okay, you introduce all these different concepts, but it feels odd that we're just like jumping to cancel the try and brain theory yeah second read was i the rage is somewhat gone and i'm more in the realm of curiosity like, yeah okay i'd be curious to know like yeah i want more writing on why the cancel why is try and brain a fully outdated theory
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which yeah that's kind of where i'm at because now in, and inaccurate inaccurate yeah, yeah.
0: outdated and an anchor.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget that buzzy word. That
0: is a, <laughs> that's a statement right there. Yeah.
1: I'm curious how you feel.
0: <laughs> I feel pretty agreeable. No.
1: <laughs> I. The flush uh, tone of your yeah, neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tells so, me that you're totally chill.
0: Yeah. So I think it's a very important article to talk about. Mm-hmm. So that's my major kind of consensus is like, this is a great article because it, it, it creates a space that we can connect both as friends, as colleagues, as theorists, we get to connect over this and get to share in connection with other people on it. As far as the argument of the work, I'm not persuaded. I'm actually mm-hmm. like more certain now mm-hmm. um, like using this as fodder for like I now know even more why we need the triune brain theory yeah. to understand the adaptive nature of the brain. Yeah without it, I don't know how you would make sense of it. Um, this article without the trained brain theory doesn't do much to posit a different a different theory of mm-hmm. evolutionary biology, which I think is where again you need to understand where we came from as a species in order to understand the functions we now exhibit because they are you know you brought up the interoceptive exteroceptive axes they are sometimes puzzling. How do you talk about that without understanding our evolutionary? origins mm-hmm. that's what i use the training brain theory to talk about that older structures are inhibited by new development mm-hmm. in the brain yeah how do you why, why special throw away yeah. <laughs> a very clean and elegant triune brain to do what mm-hmm. like it doesn't there's not there's not a lot of matter in that to me
1: yeah yeah and i think I like that you talk about the newer inhibits older. Yes. And when we're talking about, when you say the word development, like that feels like a a linchpin for me of like, yeah, like with development comes greater complexity. Yes. And then further specialization. So if, and you know, it's interesting. All it takes is to look at kids to see that they, their, prediction processing like um, systems in their brain are dependent upon experience yeah and so then over time you get more refined specializations of brain systems mm-hmm. that then produce different behaviors and yeah
0: with a different conceptualization of what that system considers reality and yes. thus the resources present to that system
1: yeah yeah Which I do like, they they do give reference to, uh, oh, what is it, the um, mid-singular, insular, and Mm -hmm. central executive networks as like pulling attention and being this modulator of um, Mm -hmm. orientative focus. And I do love that. I think in what you're saying of like, what the reality is to these systems matters. yes Because with further development comes a different, a different learned reality. So if I've learned to see that, and we've talked about this, I feel like our listeners would be very aware of like attachment theory coming into this conversation of your relational encounters and the way you've navigated relational encounters with the presence of threat or the absence of safety, Yeah. then gives way to reality looks different for you yes. based on your experiences. And
0: the, the same encounter could be interpreted in a myriad of ways.
1: Yeah and so then experience shapes brain which then shapes reality Mm -hmm. and that it it feels too like ambiguous to then say well like it's it just does that because it's adaptive
0: right (laughs) it's
1: like it is it has always been adaptive but how do we then understand the the function or the breakdown of adaptivity across time right because what an infant does that's adaptive—makes no sense to an adult. That's adaptive.
0: Yes. If how do I make see sense it, of that? You're seeing dysfunction. Like you're yeah. seeing an, an a greatly taxed and distraught system. If we're using infantile strategies, we are very vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, to collapse. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. What I what I kind of want to do is, and I'm curious how you feel about this—is walk through the three main points that they give on why trying and brain theory is outdated Mm -hmm. i want to bounce through some of like the key new scientific Mm
0: -hmm.
1: data that they propose as far as predictive processing adaptive brain through homeostatic and allostatic processes emotions stress Mm -hmm. and then looking at so then why are we getting rid of
0: adaptive brain
1: processing and kind of end there? Yes. I mean. Or why are we getting rid of trying brain processing? Right, right, and kind yeah. of end there.
0: I like that. And then with that, maybe talk a bit about the some of the clinical implications mm-hmm. um, that they give because I think there are some interesting... I got back on board when they started talking about research domain criteria, and that's a foreshadowing, again, of information to come in the season. But when they started talking about we still need to understand more in what what ways we're incorporating neuroscientific discovery into clinical application. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. And so I I got back on board at that point, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm totally down.
1: Okay. The three main points for why they believe try and brain theory is outdated. First, this is direct quotes. The brain did not evolve in successive stages as McLean hypothesized. Um, The human brain is not superimposed on a reptile brain, but consists mostly of proportionally different analogous structures. The gradation of proportional shifts is not necessarily a linear progression from reptilian to human or reptile to mammal, mammal to human. Um, So first point is, what we talked about already, that there is not a material superimposition of a whole nother structure on a more primal structure, like a reptilian um, structure. Secondly, brain structures do not function independently of one another. Their idea here is that emotion and cognition are not independent events, and something that we talk about that listeners Mm. may be uh, readily kind of connected to is the idea that when we say a part of your brain goes offline, we don't mean that there's no activation there. That's yes. not what we're saying. Um, and for them, the the writers try in brain theory, like the reading of it is if I'm in a reptilian response pattern, my human, the human parts of my brain, the cortical parts are offline. They're yeah. shut down, there's no firing there. Um, and so they say, well, it's outdated. Um <laughs> even the the slow blinks that you have as I'm saying this to you of just like that's not what McClings is saying. It's <laughs> <That's>
0: ridiculous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which I I Yale. Love yeah.
0: <laughs> National Institute of Mental Health. Like you think like, 70s, I mean, 80s, 90s. Like you think that <laughs> Yeah.
1: You're welcome for even being able to talk about the brain. Yeah. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. <laughs>
1: like, yeah. <laughs> but I think this is like when I first read this article. I laughed because I was like, this is going to be such a fun episode. I agree with all three of these. Yes. Like, yes, and the, the brain the did not evolve in successive stages as McLean hypothesized. Mm-hmm. Yes, structures of the brain do not function independently of one another. And the third one, which we haven't gotten to, is that current neuroscience research findings provide further evidence um, and open new ways of understanding how the brain responds to stress and adapts to changing internal and external environments. Which they say it is proof of the inaccuracy of the triune brain theory. Um, I I agree with yes. every part except for that last bit of like proves the inaccuracy. Yes, and and I guess maybe it's interesting for them to say inaccuracy because um, well, this is going to get into perspective analysis. I'm in because at a certain perspective, it's not inaccurate. Right. At a different perspective, a deeper, a more micro perspective. To call
0: it inaccurate is inappropriate. Okay, like in that in that way, like yeah. I, I totally agree. If you want to chop up the original articulation of the theory, it's using outdated evolutionary conceptualization data. Yeah. Yes. So of course we update that, but this posture of throwing out mm-hmm. very strange for science to do. Yeah, that's a dangerous posture. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. Integrating into, if you want to say that adaptive physiology comes from a triune understanding, I'm in. Mm -hmm. I'm fully there. Mm -hmm. I will meet you there the whole time. But to say that we should call it adaptive and not triune, I've lost my ability to understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know what you mean.
1: Yeah. Which I think like they go into, they... They go back on themselves at one point. A couple times. Yeah, yeah, a couple times. But at one major point where they bring in research um, from Barrett and Bliss Maru, um, which are researchers that Pongsep uh, cites all the time, and they're talking about affectivity and cognitive circuitry in the brain. And they talk about primary, secondary, or, they t- yeah, primary, secondary, and tertiary processes in the brain and a hierarchical organization <laughs> of flow.
0: Of flow, yes. So,
1: energy and information has to flow across space-time. Hierarchy. Which, in space-time, there is time that it takes for matter to transfer energy. Yeah. So, then, like... It's interesting that they say we need to get rid of trying brain theory, when but then they, they use quote it
0: to essentially justify their argument.
1: Yeah, yes, that that's I mean that's a core argument for the adapt adaptive brain. Yeah, because my primary processes are going to one be reciprocally conditioned by my secondary processes based on Pongsep's work, but then also like my primary processes are neurosequentially going to dictate my state dependent recall in these yes. different levels of processing, tertiary and secondary. Right. Right. So then it's a it's an interesting like let's get rid of it and also wait, hold on, let's like still use things that use triune brain theory like to discover. To discover these yes. new ways of articulation. Because yeah. even in Pongsep's book, uh, Archaeology of the mind, he uses the image of a triangle. Yeah. And it's divided <laughs> into three subsects, and it's primary, secondary, and tertiary. Simon it...
0: McLean, like explicitly. Yes. 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 With yes. the important caveat that the evolutionary understanding is outdated, mm-hmm. but it is not inaccurate to talk about the brain in a triarchic <laughs> hierarchy. Yeah. Horses? So I'm sorry. About this. I, <laughs> I love I it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get off of the <laughs> soapbox. But... Yeah. Which.
1: Okay, to go back, we agree with the three statements of why Triune is outdated.
0: Yes, this is great conversation. But yeah. w-
1: maybe we hang up on, is it inaccurate? Yes. Right. So right. then they go on to then start to discover or really synthesize, how do we make sense of current neuroscientific research and it the field's emphasis on an adaptive brain? hmm to then go back and say the clinical implications are that triune is
0: outdated. And- yes. Yeah. I love this quote here. They they you know spend some time after asserting these three points uh, to talk about how we need to replace uh, triune with a term, and this is their language that better captures current understanding of brain function. They say the adaptive brain should be that term. Then this this section comes. In this conceptualization, the term adaptive brain emphasizes the interdependence and plasticity of brain regions and the brain's ability to predict and adapt to future needs and conditions. Instead of three relatively independent brain regions, or any number of independent brain regions, brain networks work together interdependently. Instead of purely emotional circuits or cognitive circuits, The brain uses interconnected networks to optimize maintenance of the body's internal state, emotion, and cognition to adapt to continuously changing needs. So in that understanding, I think we see the crux of the double back Mm. that emerges, Mm. which is that in understanding the triune brain, the reason it's a no-go is that in their understanding, it removes our ability to talk about networks, and neuroplasticity of changing to experience dependent uh, attachment um, experiences or any type of uh, you know adaptation that may have come from a trial and error development mm-hmm. yeah yeah I I think my
1: yeah, my brain goes to like the uh, it uh, it affords us conceptual uh, depth when we look at it from that perspective. Um, My only hang up with that though, is that like, what if I can't tolerate that depth of thought? What if I can't like, what if my understanding of the brain like, or my synthesis of information needs something wider than just a, circuit or network based because they don't like circuits a network based orientation of integration or disintegration which are words that they don't even use right but i'm kind of giving to them generously of like what if i just need to know like a a response that my client is having is a quote unquote less rational because it is a more like disintegrated
0: yeah to um, talk about dissociation Mm. without the triune brain i mean you, you have to i don't know how you would do it with network complex system articulation well you can it just take like two hours and you're sitting with somebody that's experiencing it like
1: yeah and i don't know if you've ever tried to conceptualize a client uh, one of like your many but i don't have two hours for every client right I need these constellatory constructs that allow me to. Easy make,
0: ways in. Yes. Like, yes.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where we have some rub is, at, and I'll, spoiler alert. <laughs> I read this article at the same time I had bought Vygotsky's uh, Society and, uh, yeah. what is it? Society in the Mind or yes. something. And I was reading Zone about it. Development. Zone of Proximal <laughs> Development. And so I'm thinking as I'm reading this article, of like, I wonder if these guys have ever tried to teach like people how to conceptualize
0: their own brain in reflecting on a traumatic experience.
1: Yes. Not even their own brain. Like I'm <laughs> thinking somebody else's brain because <laughs> yeah, like, you get your own defenses in your own brain. But yeah, like yeah. teach somebody else how to mm. conceptualize somebody else's experience. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yes, I get it. There are like, and I think we do this in our trainings in SIP two, like the second training, mm-hmm. we basically say SIP one was incredibly helpful and there's, heck of a lot more information we had to talk that way so we can talk this way now. yeah so now we're going to complexify it zone
0: of proximal development there it is Um, yes yeah so the the next major section um, being the adaptive brain prediction balance and interdependent brain networks so within this section um, they're looking at homeostasis and allostasis Uh, just very quick i think homeostasis is pretty Readily understandable, mm-hmm. um, homeostatic function is to maintain stability in an mm-hmm. environment. But allostasis, just if it's new, uh, this is stability through change that depends on predicting future needs and conditions, emphasizing our ability to anticipate and adapt to diverse environmental forces and to balance internal needs and external demands. So the first time reading this article, I kept wanting them to talk about relationships, because it's interesting. It's really interesting to me to, to say we need to talk about a systems or network understanding of brain function, which is a tertiary conceptualization of how our physiology functions, and to not talk about the primary concern of a tertiary and integrated system, which is relational health. Which is It's interesting to not talk about that Yes. until yeah. the very end of the article mm. uh, when you're trying to justify the importance of talking about an evolution that says we are concerned with the balance between interceptive and extraceptive cues of threat and danger, and the way that we mitigate those threats is through what? They don't get to it until the very end of the article. Yeah.
1: Relationships. Relationships.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting to me.
1: It is interesting. I, I will say, though, I, I, I appreciate them differentiating homeostasis and allostasis. Well, oh, yes. On the second read, I thought, you know, this is a really good... Um, and I think we do this implicitly in our understanding of triune brain theory, but we sort of kind of add a dynamic of, you know, the, the triune brain can live wonky. Mm. So if it has to engage in allostatic strategies or allostatic balance seeking mm. for too long, eventually this the the whole system, the brain-body system, shifts its conceptualization of what is homeostatic. Yes. What is balance and constancy? And then there becomes a new homeostasis, which is an adaptive homeostasis, and a new allostatic need, which is a, an adapted allostatic need. And so I very much appreciate them, like, nuancing that. And I think try and brain theory can bend in that way of saying like, yeah, it's the, the, the hierarchical organization of the brain um, does not need to, it doesn't need to stay like rigidly, like on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Like we conceptualize it in a triangle using different things like Maslow and Pongsepp and all of these others, but like that the triangle can live what we call wonky. Yeah. Like, through the experiences where my my reptilian quote-unquote needs are going unmet yes well then so to
0: just to be very explicit there because i think this is a great way of looking at it so that your physiological safety needs yeah can go unmet hunger thirst like basic physical security that nothing bad is going to happen to me that mm -hmm. i won't incur harm
1: basic life uh life threat yes yes Um, very basic yeah um yeah that we can forego we our systems are adaptive in the way that if it has to engage an allostatic strategy existence yeah so much so so that i don't i don't have like the food that i actually need but i still need to keep living then the the brain body will do a shift in which it will adjust its homeostatic expectations to then be the new what was the allostatic strategy yes. becomes the new homeostatic balance. Yes.
0: And this is infusing neuroscience with Maslow like prioritizing metabolic energy not for higher order organization of self and other self actualization etc but to maintain the level of consistency that allostatic survival requires mm-hmm. that you have to focus your energy not on these higher processes but on basic basic um rationing of what is available to you because it's not abundant
1: yeah yeah
0: and i, I like that
1: i, <laughs> I, I feel like, that. like that's really appropriate to add into not disprove mm-hmm. trying brain theory mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I feel like we're gonna say that a million times, a this million episode, times. but yeah um because it's our
0: it's the it's the takeaway for me. Like, yeah. like just to have it.
1: <laughs> just, yeah. to, just to have it up here at the front. Can I, I can I jump into like a little side note that is just a pet peeve of mine, but it has nothing to do with research. It has everything to do with how does are you sure the no, Western. To <laughs> <laughs> say nothing is yeah. an overstatement, yeah. But how the Western world conceptualizes rest
0: mm-hmm. and
1: how dissociative rest is actually an allostatic strategy totally not homeostatic recharging i would yeah allostatic distraction is how i
0: would yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah 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 i was i i think it's just so important especially as clinicians with the introduction of the concept of allostasis versus homeostasis that when we're looking and working with clients what to them may be homeostatic could be allostatic for their Long broad system.
0: term allostasis. Yeah.
1: It is homeostasis for a part of them. Yes.
0: But allostatic for the rest of them. Yeah. Homeostasis doesn't mean pleasant, nurturing, like balanced, well-integrated. Mm. Homeostasis means stays the same.
1: Yeah, constant. Continues. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think like, yeah, I just, it's it feels like a pet peeve of mine of like rest is shut off. Mm. Not rest is like because if you shut off you you're not homeostatic yeah you are ceasing delayed (laughs) yeah Yeah. you are slowly deteriorating lagged yeah Yeah, (laughs) whereas like i think of like active rest is more homeostatic because it is then positive energy that then gets digested by your brain body system and then produces more energy for then you to keep going on
0: yeah more energy and structural adaptation
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Hey, oh, now we're talking. Yes. <laughs> that was a nice little integration of the two. I
0: told you, it was, it was right subtle. there. It was yeah. subtle. <laughs> you you introed it as having nothing to do, and I set an agenda subconsciously <laughs> to link it back. Oh, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, like, you sure? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? Mm. Um, so there's, speaking of Barrett, uh, Barrett and Simmons, another reference from Punk's Up as well. Um, this is a point I'm on page three here for you, buddy, okay. on the left panel here. They say, cutting across previously accepted boundaries of the triune brain, which is interesting, Barrett and Simmons propose a neuroarchitecturally distinct brain interoceptive system consisting of viscerimotor motor cortex and the medial and anterior cingulate cortex Again, we'll we'll get through these names. A G C. Yeah, the A G C. This is very important, but we we'll, we can get through these and then talk about the meaning of it. The posterior ventromedial prefrontal cortex, the posterior orbital frontal cortex, and the anterior insular cortex. So these are all systems that you and I have talked at length about over mm-hmm. the years because they're important for what they say: self-awareness, not just of interoceptive existence, but of exteroceptive existence, dissociation is primarily linked to what I'm trying to use precise language here but I the, the language I use with clients is that this is a disintegration of mm-hmm. your system mm-hmm. that your functioning is compromised not because of an absence of activation but an overactivation mm-hmm. the reason you can't make sense of yourself like when somebody when a client might say it felt like it wasn't happening to me or I was above my body in the experience yes That's because what is happening is a disintegration of mind, which is structurally contingent. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. This interoceptive system, uh, they go on to say, this interoceptive system transmits information through connections in the amygdala, hypothalamus, ventral striatum, and the periaqueductal gray. So what the direction they're going in this is down. So from these higher regions uh, of theory of mind i'm just Mm -hmm. going to summarize it that these are typically associated with theory of mind the way they get down into the spinal cord is through some of these systems being in the amygdala the hypothalamus the ventral striatum and the periacuductal gray to the spinal cord that predicts needed autonomic hormonal and immunological adjustments and they're trying to talk about it without the triune brain According to Barrett and Simmons' proposal, the frontal interceptive center also sends the same information to the mid and posterior insula, which can then determine the prediction error to maintain optimal energy use or homeostasis or initiate allostasis by ongoing adaptation to changing internal and external environments, including internal energy states. So to summarize this, they're saying that in the response to a stimuli, the brain doesn't just do one thing, but it does many things at the same time, parallel process. Mm-hmm. So this is, again, I'm totally on board with how they're talking about this. I don't think that this says we need to get rid of the train brain right there. I think it actually says like, yes, and to mm-hmm. what, we're, what we're looking at here, because this shows that our evolution has moved us to a place to not just to have a linear response to a stimuli but to have a nonlinear or circular or complex response to a stimuli. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of this?
1: Well, yeah, I I love that you go to like how it it struggles to make sense of some conceptual limitations to introducing this this, uh, precise articulation of adaptation in the brain, Mm -hmm. which is like, what about the density what about the firing speeds? Mm-hmm. What about the neuropeptide um, releasing mm-hmm. that is jumping across tran- neurotransmitters that is happening in these denser regions of the brain, the periaqueductal gray? Yeah, like, and then also I think what feels interesting about their language is they spend so much time on interception and interceptive um, potential or the the systems of interception. They're they don't really go into the reciprocal conditioning across time of how, at any point, my interoceptive integration can be shifted by, extra by external, receptive. yeah, mm-hmm. by exteroceptive awareness and information, in quote unquote. Yeah, yes, that then gets re represented through my interoceptive integrative capacity. Um, a phenomenal book in that. Way would be uh, Fogel's The Body Sense. Yes. It's just a fascinating uh, read it. on integra- integration of interoceptive. You're also
0: getting this with Fonagy. Um, yeah. And affect Regulation and Mentalization. Yes. Um, which, again, doesn't show up in the citation list, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I
1: just, I I think all of this is so good. And that's where, like, my second reading was, like, all of this is so sick. I, I love the introduction of this um the network orientation to the brain and how, how do we understand the emergent qualities of subjective experience by understanding how we all have these core systems, but the spe- specific articulation and processing of these systems is what makes us subjective. Yeah. We've been shaped by <laughs> oh, experience. I love
0: that you bring that in. That's then, so fantastic.
1: I, yeah, I, and I love all that. And at the same time, like sometimes I don't need all that sometimes it's just much easier to say like i think we're in like a
0: more primal strategy and i think not so track with this but not only do you not need it in in describing it but that person was experiencing a breaking apart of that complex network Hmm. what then is left to talk about if we can no longer talk about an integrated network Hmm. you have to go then to talking about specific brain parts which you don't know anything about in that person's system and their experience of that traumatic moment or what mm-hmm. aftermath there was mm-hmm. the problem i have in taking away the triune brain is that you now have no way in to talking about a person's neurobiological and physiological response to overwhelming affect in the absence of secure attunement this is why dan siegel uses the hand model like yeah it's to talk about the major distinctions hierarchically in the brain and their associated but limited function in a flipped-lid reality. Yeah. Closed system. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, uh, since we're already there, several pages later, I wrote, um, <laughs> I wrote a thing that I said time, which classic Caleb, <laughs> talking about time and space again. Time and space still matter to the biological brain. There are sugar, protein, neurohormonal, neuropeptide, influences on the speed of these receptive predictive and adaptive cycles and the triune brain theory is what helps us conceptually understand that the speed and rapidity of these cycles is different in a hierarchically organized brain yes that there are systems of cortical firing that are just going to be time space qualitatively different in time and space and their ability to be integrated into the rest of the firing of the brain. Yes. Then some of these more primal, primary zones of the brain, which are deeper into the core. Right. That like
0: that's just the way it is <laughs> like that's just yeah, i love that like, it's just the way that's it is just <laughs> it. That's, just it. that's just it like you know like i don't yeah. know you could spend all this language you want around it but you have to deal with this like, yes
1: yeah you gotta look at that yeah and i miss it yeah i miss it without some sort of organization of the brain that allows for hierarchical understanding mm-hmm. um and Again, this is where I go to like our, like the field of science has a real um, uh, lineage denying temptation mm-hmm. to say like, we found something new, let's cut it.
0: We let's don't cut need the it.
1: old, we don't need it.
0: Yeah, let's space travel to away from our home and just consider Mars our new home. Yeah, which is like- History a, begins in Mars. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: a modernistic orientation yeah. of like, we found the newer, the better we will utterly progress into utopia. Yes. And it's like, yeah, but you'll, you'll actually just like play whack-a-mole. You'll find the new and the
0: beautiful, but then you'll lose sight of the whole. Yeah. And I think one of the pieces that is coming clearer to me now, I don't know these researchers personally. And so my posture by default is to give them the benefit of the doubt. The resources and references that they've amassed here do not make any sense to me because of other research that i'm aware of Mm -hmm. and additionally in a statement like this is just reading ripping it off of the page but this this shows the problem that i have if a predator threatens to eat us however we will deprioritize our need to eat and instead focus our energy into fight or flight period
1: like our ability to respond to and coordinate attention to external and internal stimuli is crucial for survival period. I wrote yeah period I wrote is triune brain theory not helpful here yes is Triune brain theory not helpful in understanding why we deprioritize our basic needs and organize our energy into fight or flight patterns
0: and more <laughs> not just fight or flight responses yes. yeah like you can't if you, t- I think we're seeing what happens if you take away a triune brain understanding in this article. Yeah. you don't understand the power of relationship if you take away the triune brain theory because brains develop in and through relationship. You need that understanding to see the inhibition of later developing systems that nurtured the development hierarchically of those systems from bottom to top. Mm-hmm. You need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's just like. I, I'm i with them on so many of their points. I am missing so many citations hmm. to make some of the points that they're making. You know, they all together have just over 70 references for a 10-page article. Yes, a 10-page article that is making really bold statements. Hmm. I'm going to need to see hundreds more references. Hmm. Yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah i think like i i don't know we're kind of all over the place in the in the article but one of the places where i will give some like return i'll pendulate back into some like and i'm with you again mm. i'm with you guys again is they say a network model of the brain a network model of brain activity makes clear that brain area is quote-unquote Neither behave in isolation nor take charge of tasks which are easily circumscribed into distinct roles. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: instead, if each area uh, instead, if each area has a very broad range of possible contributions, all mod- modified and molded by areas with which it is consistently interacting, their functional potential is dramatically expanded. Moreover, they are adaptable recruited in a wide variety of changing circumstances, and in turn recruiting other areas, always participating in the networked brain in novel and changing ways. And again, I think like, yeah, this idea that the emergent brain can take these systems, these low, mid, and tertiary systems, and like specialize them based on experiences in the environment to continue to go on living Mm -hmm. is beautiful and it does increase the functional potential of the system as a whole the Mm -hmm. body brain Mm -hmm. and yet at the same time like i i do still think that there is some credit to can we can we organize that hierarchically yes
0: yes like yeah i i couldn't agree more um so, just looking at time here, we've spun up quite a bit, but um, it's just ten after the hour. I nice. Think, but just wanting to cool. So, as we look at this this section again, they're they're talking about um, what role prediction plays, the and interdependent brain networks. You know, just to sum that up. Um, our evolutionary existence and status in the food chain globally mm-hmm. is in part and heavily due to our ability to make predictions of interoceptive and exteroceptive cues of safety and threat based in relationship. They don't say that last part, but that's that's really important. And ways that they're coming to this is that human evolution has created the ability for interdependence and parallel processing of uh, you know, uh, cortically and subcortically organized neurosequential firing. Mm-hmm. That what we're doing is a process of parallel functioning across systems that can simultaneously attend to internal and external, and make a composite survival strategy yeah. from it. Trying to keep on going on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you feel cool to move to the next section? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Emotion, cognition, and social bonds. The three solutions to increasing adaptation. So I get back on board here a little bit um, when they start talking about um, the role that relationships have played evolutionarily. Um, What do you think about the axing of circuitry language?
1: Yeah, so I I definitely noted that their verbatim is... To operationally define a network is open to adaptation based on their functional use of that word so a network can be adaptive a circuit is a close is closed and not reciprocally conditioned by experience mm. so in their way of conceptualizing the brain and using the word circuitry anytime they use the word circuitry they're limiting it to an understanding of the brain in which it cannot be adaptively it's reorganized closed. or specialized yeah so it and in that in that way, like, they make some claims about, like, there's no such thing as a fear circuit, which, like, also has, like, linguistic struggles with, I don't know, Pongsepp's work.
0: Yeah. Like, of, decades of affective neuroscience establishing theory. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. you know, it's not just some person writing. It's yeah. like the person who wrote the book on, yes. right? like, affective yeah. neuroscience. Yeah. Like,
1: and... And, and i think like what's without it? referencing them i'm sorry <laughs>
0: like that's the, like that's the thing for me i think that's the thing yeah like it's the absence of reference
1: yes yeah Ugh. and and again like to be to be good readers of work to think of well okay so people are using words and they don't mean it the same way so then how do we make sense i'm
0: open to that for okay
1: sure. if we're using network and circuit in those different definitions i'm sure PongSep i know pong would say Okay, yeah, I wouldn't use circuit either if you mean it that way. Right. Because even in Pongsep's work, he's talking about how the secondary processes through the basal ganglia shift yes. and reciprocally condition the affective expression through the primary processes of these circuits, yes. basic affective circuits.
0: Making our tertiary awareness completely. Dependent on that process. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you can change circuits. Right. Whereas the use of that language is that you cannot. And I
0: think that's where perhaps you and I were jaded from the beginning coming to this article. Yeah. Because we were so influenced by the, I think, just putting Perry and Ponks up together of looking at affective circuitry, not in isolated point A to point B firing, but in complex Adaptive strategy mm-hmm. that the way we inhibit and entangle these circuits will create dissociative and inhibited uh, functioning as we encounter life moving forward from traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. Memories of fear, affect of the archaeology of the mind, those together are going to get you that composite mm-hmm. reality. So we're, we're primed in a negative stance <laughs> uh, to language that tries to jettison in circuitry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're three in bringing up ne- networks and circuitry that really comes up in the responding quickly to stress subsection yeah. where they're talking about the emotional solution to adaptation or stress. So then, through like what they call emo- what they're labeling as emotion, mm. um, which is just the integrated physiological responses occurring to meet significant challenges, they're saying there's no such thing as closed circuitry on emotions, that emotions are adaptive because they change. Yes. My emotional expression, energy, and motion changes over time based on experience.
0: Experience and my current and perspective then perspective of reality. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then they deposit that emotions and feelings are different based on Ludau's work, which I love. Yep. Which says that Again, feeling is there. the conscious yeah. awareness of. These emotion states. Yes. Yes. Um,
0: and I think also the the idea, I don't know if you picked up on the importance they place on motivation hmm. in circuit in circuitry activation, but this is a sort of ambiguous thing that they don't define what motivation means. But that to me is at the crux again of interoceptive, extraceptive reality. Your motivation, what does that mean? But they, they talk about how these motive circuits or survival circuits evolved to address the key needs of avoiding what is dangerous and approaching what is beneficial. So avoid pain, seek pleasure. Mm. Another way of kind of looking at that. Mm-hmm. Some would call our two primary drives as uh, mammals. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing here. Our motivation arises from these circuits and motivational arousal is the foundation of emotion. Mm-hmm. Which again, curious, yeah. but...
1: yeah. Yeah, I I like that they say that we're always in a state of affect and that we have this bump in our homeostatic functioning that then puts us into an emotion and then we have the potential to be consciously aware of the emotion through feeling. Yeah. And that that can be an adaptive strategy for responding to stress.
0: Yes. I can't remember where Pongsepp puts his understanding of emotion i remember i'm remembering like at length descriptions of why affect and emotion are different but in terms of that um homeostatic physiology where emotions emerge in pong Sepp's understanding
1: well so yeah looks affect as like affect is an in oh i'd have to go back to the specific to get language the precise but language, he says yeah. that that the seven affects, the seven affects that we generally talk about are actually the uh, emotional affects. Yes. They have a felt um, psychological quality. Of, Which is
0: why he makes them capitalized mm-hmm. in the circuit language. Fear becomes yeah. all caps, F E A R. Yeah, because it's an distinct. emotional affect. Right. And that's where, again, some of the language here is absent of Ponceps' work because they're talking about. Um, Rather than having dedicated emotion circuits, such as a fear circuit, emotions are constructed from what Ledoux calls survival circuits. Survival circuits are wired to address basic life needs, such as nutrient and fluid regulation, thermoregulation, and defense against harm. Mm -hmm. Again, combining Ledoux and Damasio coming to different conclusions than you and I, argue that emotions are integrated physiological responses occurring to meet a significant challenge. I think we would call those affects, you and me. Mm hmm okay
1: yeah i mean it it, yeah this is getting into like a really big conversation and i don't know if it's
0: one for this space
1: quite as important for like the general broad uh, connecting it to the trying brain theory because i think there's a world of nuance that you could do around experience giving way to affects just direct sensory sensory motor um stimuli giving way to sensory motor affective um processing that gives way to emotional processing feeling processing story articulation and general the construction of a conscious self Mm -hmm. all of that you know there's a lot there but i i do think like it's interesting to me that they want to talk about the the pulling apart of all of that Mm -hmm. and say like there's different quote-unquote emotional ways to respond to stress but then like What do I do with that as a reader? What do I do knowing that there's like a difference between emotions and feelings? What do I do knowing that there's not a quote-unquote fear circuit in the way of like a closed circuit that can never be changed? Mm -hmm. Um, And instead, there's an interdependent brain network that responds to an integrated, in an integrated manner to meet a basic need. And then eventually through, through emergence, we come to know that as a feeling. Right. Like, what do I do with that? Yes. And even, like, at the end, me depositing uh, the idea of emergence, like the fact that an affect emerges into an emotion which emerges into a feeling which emerges into... Cognition. Cognition. Yeah. I feel like I... It, it's so hard. And maybe this is just because we we <laughs> have the template.
0: It's in the But it feels way so we've... hard
1: to make sense of that without a triune brain perspective. Yes. A hi- hierarchically organized understanding of conceptual understanding of the brain right i'm not talking about biological
0: matter affect emotion cognition
1: yeah 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 so then they shift but that's sorry one
0: last point that's the problem again with like i i think our conceptualization is cleaner because we have that conceptual understanding of a triune hierarchical neurosequential brain Mm -hmm. because even the way they mix emotion and affect like it doesn't it's very imprecise um like even just this statement again sorry ripping it out of context but affect impacts decisions through personal values and impacting current mental content this is so interesting <laughs> like without the training like, why
1: why does that just affect- jumped
0: in the triune brain theory from primary process to tertiary process values
1: from uh hindbrain to forebrain to forebrain and back to hindbrain again right because you're talking about the quality of the affect
0: yes the, yes exactly the, the, essentially like the internal appraisal and the negative positive speaking from neuroscience like not positive like yeah good or no, yeah like bad yeah. but like addition or, or absence yeah. or removal you're talking about the appraisal of the affect mm-hmm yeah.
1: I'm saying it's interesting.
0: <laughs> yes, positive and negative affect contribute positive or negative value to whatever sorry, to whatever might be in the mind at the time. Being happy or sad influences the content and focus of thought with positive affect validating and negative affect invalidating cognitions. Hmm.
1: So it sounds like my more basic, quote-unquote, rational processes in the hindbrain, they influence my mid and forebrain processes because biologically there seems to be a dependence (laughs) upon emergence and connectivity in the brain. So if I'm sad, it's going to affect what I think. Right. But let's not talk about how we can understand that from a hierarchically organized triune perspective.
0: And let's stumble around in the dark with networks.
1: Yeah. So then they go to intelligence as a way of um, dealing with stress. So they have emotional um, adaptations. It's funny to
0: me to notice how many times triune... In different ways comes up in the article they make up emotion cognition and social bonds with three <laughs> <laughs> three understandings uh, the first one being quickly to stress which you could talk about through the hind brain intelligently to stress which you could talk about through the mammalian system and socially or cooperatively to stress which you could talk about through the rational tertiary process mm-hmm
1: i'm Very just looking at
0: structure here yeah so yes intelligently to stress and i like they did bring up kahneman here Yeah. yeah oh i love yeah yeah, yeah love, love that yeah um but again sort of making the point through a different lens that we have parallel processes that are designed to either quickly respond or more slowly respond and for different reasons but all coming together with homeostasis in mind or temporary allostasis that's the mm-hmm. goal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kahneman's work, I feel like, justifies why we make intellectual and statistical errors because of the- The prediction. Rapid emotional like leaps that our brains are willing to make in, in a predictive and or contextually oriented way.
0: Thinking fast.
1: Yeah. Based on what I've already experienced or something like the anchoring principle or based on what I ex- anticipate experiencing. I will make. I will justify statistical errors intellectually to say this is like the answer. When if I really slowed down and integrated all of the information, yes, I would. If I thought slowly
0: with non-duality and dialectics, mm-hmm,
1: then I would get to the. I I would be able to make sense of the equation, the problem, the yes. homeostatic need, whatever.
0: Yeah, uh, and I just read. When I was talking about affect, I was reading from that section. So I'm sorry to have jumped ahead. Well, no, I
1: think it I think it's interest it, it's interesting. It's another example of like how their the dependence, like even the fact that this is broken up into three sections, like the dependence of neurosequential flow, or in their maybe in a way of talking about it in their language, like how the the valence and firing um intensity of these networks is like our intellectual abilities are dependent upon the amount of firing and the integration of firing across these networks
0: which can be elegantly classified in three ways yeah quick intelligent and cooperative
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and i would this is just me but i would be curious if we you know Another critique that we could do, which is not so much a critique. I don't want to bash these researchers at all. But like the idea that responding intelligently is a second is actually more of like a Western um, idea because if we knew anything from infant and developmental studies, we know that emotions are flavored through relationships and intelligence is dependent upon our relational experiences of emotionality
0: and coherence
1: yeah across life across life yeah so
0: yes the coherent narrative paradigm
1: yeah gets us the there. temptation to put responding intelligently in stress is the second one is kind of uh in, in, it's a, meta, ironic. in a meta way it is ironic <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah
1: yeah it's a showing of western cards yeah i was just um, gonna say
0: yes it's, a, it's just laying down the hand yeah. with a big w on it yeah like, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. um Bringing back in Barrett and Bliss Moreau, um, the core affect neural reference space contains two functional networks. One, a sensory integration network that is dependent on values and experience and how current environments might impact homeostasis. And the other is a viscerymotor network that guides responses via autonomic and endocrine functioning. So again, the think fast and slow is a good way to kind of think through this, but in responding to stress, we have the immediate reaction, which is largely, again, reactive, uh, to our felt sense of interoceptive uh, readiness and extraoceptive likelihood of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Which then leads you to the third one, which is res- responding cooperatively right. with stress, which is In relationship. What the ex- extraoceptive likelihood mm-hmm. is impacted based on your relationships and your felt connectedness. And yep. They go on to talk about emotions, cognitions, and strong social bonds have evolved together to maximize the stress response and adaptations of our nervous systems. Um, They go on to say these adaptations work together to maximize how we cope with stress. And without these adaptations, it is unlikely we would be where we are today. Again, if we did not have these specializations of adaptation through affect, emotion, intellectual, Ability to make sense of things and social bonds. Mm-hmm. We would not be where we are today it, that is in line with giant brain theory. Yep. If we did not have primary hindbrain processes that are protective of basic Primordial needs. Yes, if we did not have secondary Midbrain processes that are oriented towards social bonds and doing this together. We would not be where we are today if we did not have rational with the privilege
0: thinking. of rationality yeah y- yes yeah if we did not
1: have rationality which tempers our relational expression and makes sense of the lack or overproduction of certain parts of us and others we would not be where we are today mm-hmm. it still feels very in line with the original theory yes i i really do think like if i was to come down on us what they're really against in the trying brain theory is a modular understanding yep. of the brain in which you have these module nodes of your brain that are either on or off, and do not fire any other time they're not being used. Yeah, and I think we would agree with that. And yeah. I think that's like a default
0: mode network does yeah. not mean inaction mm-hmm. or lack of stimuli
1: in other systems. Right. Yeah, um,
0: we talk about that every single time. The every time pop culture reference of like your brain going offline comes up. Yeah. That's absurd. It turned off. You would be dead. (laughs) It's like, no, it reprioritized firing. Yes. Metabolic energy went elsewhere in priority of mm -hmm. that system's utility in maintaining survival and relationship.
1: And that system still used its uh, memory information, (laughs) even though that's controversial because it's not in the hippocampus. (laughs) But the memory information (laughs) of that system was utilized by another system to make sense through...
0: It's, All we are is memory, so I'm, I'm not sure. That's not just sure. the way it is. That's it's just like, the way it is, that's people. That's just how it is. Is that like, the title of? That's just the way it is. That's
1: just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's our That's our, uh, it's a new analysis of this. Yeah. of
0: this article. <laughs> <laughs> well, reread it so you don't have to. That's just that's the way just it the is. That's just the way it is, okay? <laughs> okay, so then they d- they dive, and again, I want to wrap up here. The adaptive brain you okay
1: yeah we really need to wrap up
0: yeah i'm sorry no that's are you good until five
1: nope i might need a dip right now
0: actually right now actually yeah Mm. okay do we want to pause for the next i think just really quick the the last piece of this is found in dang it i'm sorry i don't want to take too much more of your time no you're good um
1: what if we pause and did a part two because okay. I think we could really spin up on just the theoretical implications. Yes, because we already spun up okay. on why You're we right. disagree. You're right,
0: and why where are things so to wrong? limit this article into one time? Yeah, they deserve to. They deserve to. There's there's four more pages to this. So okay, part one done. Part two later.
1: Thanks for listening. Also, super
0: stoked to be back.
1: What? Yeah, thanks for letting us be subjective. I have a client, and we see people. We're not we just. Do. Doing this all the time. So, I know. thanks for letting us be a little bit more subjective and doing the hard cut. <laughs> hard cut. Um, but yeah, take care. Thanks for listening.
0: We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers.
1: If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www. Beyond and go to the Trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing Trainings at Beyond
0: If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence Based Therapist podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media.
1: Notice that is an EMDR podcast hosted by EMDR approved consultants and trainers who use EMDR in their practice.
0: Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt, but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system
1: and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear.